This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader, no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about how to gain traction for your point of view, or POV for short. Now, we spend a lot of time trying to convince others that our position or our perspective or the strategy that we have or even a product or service is the right one for them. Now, some of this falls under the explicit selling of products and services. So all of you in sales are like, yes, this is what I do. Mm-hmm. But some of it is more implicit through exchanges with colleagues and bosses and executive teams and project teams and board of directors and venture capitalists. You know, your target in the intent may differ, but the objective is the same, which is we're trying to get people to follow, believe, or agree with what we're saying. And there are many pitfalls we have seen when people try to do this. Some are more really overt bad behavior, like bullying or threatening, and those are, you know, very obvious ones. But some are not as obvious as that. So they can be things like failure to listen, not knowing your audience, Mm -hmm. being inflexible, asking for too much too soon, so you sound tone deaf, not considering the other person's point of view or currency of what's in it for them, rushing through your perspective to get to the end, or trying to trick the other party. Mm -hmm. And we have a way to describe these people. We say they're like a dog with a bone. And in this case, that is definitely not a good thing. Yeah, that's right. And I may or may not have been memed some of these in uh, several points in my career. Yes, Um, same. Yes, so which is why we think this topic is so important and don't think we haven't fallen to those pitfalls ourselves. All right, so with that, we'll get into how to gain traction for your POV. First, use simple and consistent language. April, I'm going to let you start. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're trying to gain traction on your point of view, this means you're meeting with or expecting to meet with some level of opposition, right? right? Because inherently it means that you're putting yourself out there and there's a contrarian point that could come back. And this can be for a lot of reasons. It can be because people disagree with you or they don't understand you or you're bringing up something that's making them uncomfortable, or literally they just don't understand what you're talking about. So the last thing you want to do in this situation, and the point of this point, is to exacerbate it by using a bunch of industry jargon or big words that then pile on and create more confusion and trepidation. What we would say is do the opposite of that. Treat them with respect. Treat them as though they have a brain in their head. Do not (laughs) condescend. And, you know, use those industry terms if they make sense in the conversation. But what we're saying is don't just use those big words for the sake of doing so. Also, don't use acronyms that aren't common knowledge. My friends at P&G love to do this. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) If the point of view is complicated and you think people aren't going to understand you, then use an analogy that's relatable and is an expert at this. And this is true even if the people you're trying to influence are in your industry. A big point that we make on the podcast and the reason we have this podcast is we're trying to break down marketing and branding concepts that can be interpreted many different ways with no clear right or wrong. And in doing this, we're trying to get you to see our point of view on how these concepts should be approached. 
But even with that said, there are some that are super complex. And I remember when Ann and I were writing the one on brand architecture even Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how to distill it down in a way that would be understandable to folks and relatable and that they could digest. And we actually ended up taking a, a few different runs. So we had more of like a 101 approach. And then we had, you know, we called it out at the beginning. I think we said this is a 102 or even 103. So if you haven't listened to some prior episodes, please go back and do that because we're trying to break it apart and make it digestible and understandable for our audience. And I would say, you know, Anna and I said we've been in a lot of the pitfalls or (laughs) exhibited a lot of the Mm -hmm. not great behaviors in trying to get our point of view. I've fallen under the trap too here and I still do with industry speak. And even, you know, I made my jab at my friends at Proctor just a few minutes ago. Even though I hate not using the relatable language, I still do it. And so what I've started doing and what we do at Fourth Rate People is one, we try to scrub it from the presentations and we hold each other accountable to that and sometimes even have other people look at it that aren't that mm-hmm. don't do what Ann and I do on a regular basis to say, does this make sense? But then we're also super cognizant when we're speaking with our clients and you can almost see a moment where they kind of gloss over or you've said something that they don't get. And so I will pause immediately and say, I'm sorry, I think that I'm using language that is inherent to my day to day, but not yours. And that's on me, not on you. So let me take a step back and clarify and kind of take another run at it so that then we are all on the same page moving forward. So just kind of an anecdote to prove the point. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, like looking for those cues and not just kind of busting through the cues (laughs) so that you like further lose them, I think is a really great self-awareness tip. And that's making sure that your person is responding, they're tracking and they're following what you want them to follow, because if they can't, then obviously you're going to lose any ability to gain traction with your POV. And if you want a really, really fantastic example of what this looks like, I think the movie The Big Short is one of the greatest ways of really demonstrating how do you take a complex thing, like this was all about how the basically the whole economy around the real estate collapsed in 2008. And it's a very complicated thing to understand, but the way that they do it in the movie by breaking it down into these, these little vignettes helps you to follow along on the movie so you can be entertained and educated, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's like a really fantastic example. I would watch that if you're looking to really internalize and understand this. But I'll just give like a personal example too is, you know, I grew up in PR at P&G when I was in my branding and marketing days. And I found there was a lot of confusion about what even that meant. So one time we would talk about it being a PR plan. And another time we talk about being a communications plan. And We'd even title them differently and give it to um, somebody in this group that said communications plan. This some person would get a PR plan and they might compare me like, uh, these look like the same thing. Yeah. What, what do I have here? And so even when we get comfortable and we use things synonymously and in our head, we know the difference. Some people cannot pull out those nuances in a way that it's meaningful for them. And by the way, it didn't help that we kept changing the name of the group too. I mean, in the 10 years I was there, we were like, PR, external relations, communications, whatever. So now I've, I've like simplified that language to say, okay, we're going to give you a communications plan and PR might be a part of it. So think about where you might be adding in that complexity because you keep changing the jargon around. And in your mind, it seems very clear. But if somebody else is not as familiar with it as you are, are they able to comprehend it like you? So take a little check on that. 
Yeah, it's like they get stuck on the word, whereas you can use things interchangeably and it doesn't matter to you because in your head you're clear. It's like if you take the time to be clear and consistent and then all of a sudden you throw in another word for people that aren't as aware, they're like, wait a minute now. What? Like, and you know, and then the second guessing and unraveling just begins. Oh, yeah. And it's it happens very, very quickly. So the whole goal here is that try not to make your people confused. Yes. You're talking to, right? Your audience. All right, so the second point on how to gain traction for your POV is repetition is key. April, I'm going to give this one to you, too. It's your episode, and I'm happy to do all the hard work. I'll do it once at the end. (laughs) All right, so once you've adopted the use of that clear and simple language to the point of the previous point, it's then important to formulate key messages that you'll use to then deliver your point of view. So the tool we use to the point of consistent language for this is a message track, Or, not to be confusing, if you do have multiple audiences, then you have a messaging architecture. And what that means is you take that messaging track and then you nuance or change it based on each audience, which then builds to that bigger, broader architecture. You got it. So this helps you craft the messages that will be very, very key to delivering your point of view so that you can have that intentionality with your language, especially, again, when considering the savviness of different audiences. And this also helps with crafting an elevator pitch, and hopefully everyone is familiar with generally what that means, but I'm not going to go too much into that because we actually have a whole episode on the elevator Mm -hmm. pitch. So if you need assistance in using your messaging track to create that, go and seek that tool out. That's a good one, too. That's with Shane Meeker. It was, yes, it was a very good one. It's a fun one. The entire point, though, of the messaging track is to use it everywhere. And one of the things that we see happen, we've talked already, I don't know that we've said the word discipline directly, but that's part of what we're going to talk about here is sometimes we get bored with our own messages and then we want to change it up. But the reality of the situation is that the people on the other end need to take some time to be educated, to digest what you're saying, or simply have exposure to it on more than one occasion so that they can internalize it. So this goes back to the point I was making before about when you live in this world, the vocabulary that surrounds you is just part of who you are. The people on the receiving end do not have the same comfortability, familiarity, whatever, with whatever you're trying to say and put out there. So you really do need those five to seven times of using your message track really consistently regardless of the touch point. Not that you can't nuance based on what's the best practice for that touch point, but the idea is that the message should be largely the same so that people can start to know what to expect from you. Now, the one thing I will say about this is we're not saying you don't tweak it as you learn. We talk about testing and learning on this show all of the time. And we talk about the fact that we're in a very digital space where you can literally change things on a regular basis. The message should still be largely consistent. But if you find that a word or a phrase doesn't jive with people or isn't understood, or you're not getting as much interaction with posts where you're putting that out there, then you are well within your right to nuance it because you don't want to put things out there that don't make sense to people, right? But the consistency is really, really important. And one of the things that we talk about often is taking an example from the brand playbook. So I'm going to use language that's inherent to us, but should be things that most of you understand, right? So if you are a consumer in the world and you are experiencing touch points every day, hundreds of them typically, how many does it take for you 
to start to clue in or start down the path of buying something or learn to love a brand Mm -hmm. or learn to recognize them and what they stand for, right? That doesn't happen after the first time that you have exposure to them. I mean, I'll use a a personal example. So there's a new store on the backside of Rookwood called Sierra here in Cincinnati, and I'd never heard of it before. And then word of mouth, someone told me about it. I saw it being put up. I had no relation Mm -hmm. to it whatsoever. Someone told me about it. Then another neighbor told me about it. And then, of course, because everything is listening to us, I started getting served ads on it, right? And then I went into the store to experience it. So at that point, I had been exposed to the big sign on the building. Two people had talked to me about it. I'd been served ads. And then I felt like, okay, I'm going in to experience it for the first time. And it took that retail experience to really solidify for me what they're all about and also understand that they're part of like the TJ Maxx home goods umbrella, which then put everything into context for me and made sense, right? I'm in this world all the time. I'm being exposed to things all the time. And it still took me that many touch points to have any sort of relation or a desire to interact with that brand. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good example because it reinforces exactly how people need to hear messages no matter what the message is. And the key here is that you want people to hear it in the same way. Yeah. Because if you start nuancing, especially the key messages, the themes, I'm going to talk about being flexible in a second. If you don't, if you start to alter the themes in, in different ways, then people lose that sense of that familiarity or the recognition that they've heard it before. Mm -hmm. So then you just start diluting your efforts. And so you want to make sure at nauseam that you're repeating key themes. Now, that being said, as you said, April, it's really important to be flexible. We talked about that in the beginning, where if somebody is not resonating with a way in or if they're not relating to what you're saying, then you may have to change up your way in, which is how do you draw that that connection with them so that they're even interested in what you have to say. Absolutely. Right. So that can flex and that you might want to play with. And that's going to nuance by audience, but the theme should always be the same. Yes. What impact you're delivering, the why, the purpose, these key themes that you guys need to really solidify with regards to your, your POV, those should always be the same. So really think about that because that's going to be the, the core of how to be able to get that traction. We do have a tool for the message tracking. So if you really want to have that, you can go into our PR episode. I think you just go to our website now that we have it reformatted in a different way. Yay. Yay. And you just search under resources for public relations. It is the deep dive worksheet. So that'll be the tool that we call a message track. That should help you get started. So the third point of how to gain traction for your POV is don't try to sell the barn with the chickens. But you love this one to the point of a good analogy. I know. So this is what really I think helps to like solidify things. And I think this is always a big tool to use in order for you to convey your POV. When people are having trouble uh, understanding complex situations, when you can put it into an analogic form or a metaphor or something that they can understand, it allows them to draw those connections a lot quicker. Their neurons start firing when they can familiarize and put it in a setting that they're familiar with. That's always very, very helpful. So, yeah, I guess that's true. Is this an analogy or a metaphor, technically? A metaphor is is you use for uh, or or like or as like or as. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And okay, so this is more an of lesson. like an analogy. Yeah. Okay. I, I said analogy, but then I'm like, am I right? Anyway, we should ask your mom. Yeah, but I think I'm right on this one. <laughs> 
now that I actually had to think about it. But thank you for the question, April. It was a good question. <laughs> good point of clarification. All right. So without further ado, what is what I mean by selling the barn with the chickens? In other words, it means don't pack too much in each messaging exchange in an effort to get it all out there. Remember, the very first thing you're trying to do is you're trying to sell chickens, all right? So you're trying to sell the initial thing that you came to the conversation for. It doesn't help the other person receive your message when you're like, all right, I finally have five minutes with this person. I am just going to word vomit every single thing I can and like really just let them know every single opportunity, possibility, every single side or perspective so they get every understanding of, of this and they have no possible questions whatsoever and no possible objections whatsoever. That does not work. All it does is overwhelm your person and they're left in this sea of like, I don't even know what that just was, right? When again, when I said your objective is to make this simple for them to understand, when you overload them, it gets very, very confusing. So all my years at PNG have taught me that the best way to gain traction on your POV is to feed the messaging with the intent to elicit a response, right? So this creates a conversation which keeps your audience engaged. And by keeping your responses short, tight, simple, and direct, your audience has a better chance of following your train of thought. So the key here is to listen. So you might say, it provide a point of one of your key message track points, right? And you're saying whatever that point of viewpoint might be. It should elicit some sort of response of like, oh, that's interesting. Or what does that mean? And then that gives you an opening in order to give them the next point or the clarification. And that you can listen to see where their hangups might be so you can better direct your messaging in order to go right there. It shortens the, the process for them to have to think about it, identify whether that's a good idea bad idea, bad idea, or good opportunity for them, or bad opportunity. So you can form that that common sense of understanding that allows your messages to get traction more quickly. So then when you can get them to a point where they bought the chickens, then stop. (laughs) Let that settle for a minute. Let that settle. Get whatever you need to get to in order to take the next action point you need. It may not be everything that you're hoping to get at that point, but as soon as you can get a point that's in the direction you want to go, Stop for the moment. Because what's going to happen is once you start selling them the chickens, they're going to be like, I have all these chickens. Where do I put them? I might need a barn. Do you guys sell barns or chicken coops <laughs> We're in this really case? really going. Right? But I mean, it's it's the right like analogy yeah. to think about, oh, okay. So then it continues to have a fortuitous cycle where you can continue that, that uh, engagement and continue that discussion. So you're able to actually get to the point where they bought the chickens and the barn. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm teasing, but I do think it's a really good analogy. And one of the, you know, my reaction point when I saw this is, well, one, Anne is the queen of analogy, so I wasn't surprised. But the second thing was one of the ways that I felt like at a lot of the agencies I worked at, we would shoot ourselves in the foot is when we would try to sell it all in one fell swoop. And we would be really inflexible about what that looked like. And the what would end up happening is I could see that even if we sold it in, we were already starting from a place where the client did not understand our point of view. They just had been either like beaten down right. or told that we were the best of the best and therefore they had to follow our process blindly. I mean, there were tons of different things that happened. And so I'm super cognizant of this. First of all, I love the sales portion of what we do. So I'm always mm-hmm. very much in yeah. that and, you know, everything from – 
making sure relationships, whether their current clients or not, are ongoing, meeting regularly, whatever. But because I had that experience before, and to the point of this point, I and we are very careful to meet our clients where we are with what's appropriate for them and selling them that chicken or then the coop or whatever, not coming in and saying, you're doing it all wrong or you don't have all these things. And if you don't do all of it right now, then it's not worth doing any of it. And I've been part of approaches like that before that you can already see the door shutting, whether it's today or six months from now, this is not going to go well. And that goes, goes back to the listening. And then to the point you were making before about watching for those cues, yes. right? Seeing the body language, see the facial expressions. When you throw a number out there, does people cringe? Yep. Do people cringe when you throw a number out there? There's no selling that you're going to be able to do to get them over that. You have to go back and you have to figure out where the actual point of angst is yep. and address that directly. And you can only do that if you've been really, really centered in your message track and you can bridge. And we're going to talk about bridging later. Yep. But if you want another example of this, like I always like to give examples that people see in real life, is watch several episodes of Shark Tank. I mean, I know I sound like a broken record, but a lot of times when people make a mistake in this area, it's because they're like, well, that person's really well-educated. They should be able to understand this. I should be able to just to download everything. And you know, to the point you were saying, like they could be very smart, but if they're not in your industry every day, they're not going to understand the concepts and, and the jargon like you do. But just watch some of these episodes and how businesses pitch. These are very smart people that are receiving this pitch. And one of the biggest reasons why people don't get an offer is because they don't understand their business plan. They yep. don't understand what they're trying to sell. They don't understand there's something confusing in the logic or something confusing in the way that they told the story. And they're just like, I, I'm sorry, I just don't get it. I'm out. I, if you can't, they can't rectify it in their head. And these are very smart people. And these businesses aren't necessarily the most complex to understand. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It all comes down to the delivery, right? Yeah. So it's the, the the really key point of here is like your ability to get traction is going to be in your delivery nine times out of 10 more than actually what you're trying to say. Yes. Right? Yes. No, I think that's, yeah, that's absolutely completely fair. And also, if you're having trouble with this, it gives you a little bit of a reprieve in a past too. You only have to sell the one thing at this point in time. You don't have to give them every single thing, which I mean, I knew people who are masters at sales and they can't walk through 17 steps of what the entire offering is at one time. Also, that doesn't make an elevator speech. So just be yeah. cautious of that. Amen to that. All right. So the fourth point of how to gain traction for your POV is to prioritize the why and the impact. So too often we get stuck in relaying every detail of the how and the what, and we totally, totally miss the why. Our compelling why is actually what rallies people around a common purpose and gets agreement because they have a vested interest in the outcome. And that's really, really important. So getting people to appreciate the greater good that will come out of your POV is so critical for traction. Even better is if the audience needs or wants whatever the impact that you're going to generate. Now, some of us can be philanthropic in nature and be able to say, yes, I'm going to help you even if it has no impact on me, if it has a greater impact on the greater good. But I'm definitely more interested in something that's going to have an impact on me. So you really need to understand your audience. You need to understand what motivates your audience. And then you have to be very, very intentional about crafting your message so it creates that emotional connection. We talk about that a lot. Here's another place where this becomes very, very critical. So the key to these emotional connections is to be relational. So relational is like 
we are in this together. Like we're all in this, this pursuit or this mission for this greater good without getting pretentious, which is I know what's best for everyone. <laughs> and we laugh because please don't we, do that. We know we've been there. I mean, I don't know how many times. Yes, that's that's been the e- case. everyone's ego gets the best of them at some point. Well, it's kind of like the the last ditch effort of like, you know, I mean, we do it from a mom standpoint, too. It's like, because I'm the mom, I'm like, because I know what's best. All right. Just stop. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll give you, though, some some points about how to do this or how do you create these emotional connections? So first is to find a common pain point. Right. Mm -hmm. This is the key to brand storytelling anyway. So if you know your audience, you know, what's causing them angst, you know, what's causing them that tension. And then find a common goal or mission, all right? So again, if that's the we are all in this together, like we're all wanting to get to this point that I am advocating for. So therefore, you should get on board with me and we can make this a group effort. You definitely want to share your vision of how it positively impact more people than just you. When people think you're just in it for you, it's really hard for them to get on board, right? Kind of to the point that I was just saying before. Also, and this is a key one, and people miss this a ton, is to educate on the status quo and why it's insufficient. Yep, that's a big one. And do it in a very compelling way. A lot of people will do it in a very personal way. Well, I just don't like that. Or that's just unfair. Or it shouldn't be like that. But what is that status quo doing that is causing greater damage or greater anxiety or greater tension to more people than just you? I mean, Brian, I know you have some builds on this. Yeah, well, and I, I love that one too. And I just want to add that it builds confidence too, right? So when you're trying to express your point of view and you can relate to the audience that you're trying to sell it to, that it is much bigger than just any of those people in the room and they can understand and make the connection to that, it makes it an easier thing for them to swallow versus it being just pertaining to this group or, or those types of things. Right. And I do agree this one gets lost. Uh, but the other ones I will add is, Relate to their situation with examples that pertain to them and how it can be mitigated. So, you know, are we doing something that makes your life easier or we know that this is a struggle and so we want to do this because that'll alleviate what's going on, those types of things. Overtly state that you're not in it for yourself, but trying to find common ground. I mean, obviously you have to do this in an authentic way and that has to be your true motivation. But I mean, a lot of times when... I feel like I've gotten into tough situations with clients. If I can express, you know, it would be easier for me to tell you the easier answer or to blow Mm -hmm. smoke or to tell you everything's great and good. But I'm trying here to fix the situation or offer a better way. I'm in it for that bigger picture versus for myself. And then the other one I would say is enlist others to help promote the point of view in an authentic way. It Mm -hmm. doesn't just have to be you in the hot seat. Ann and I do this all the time. If one of us feels like we're not having particular success and we're aligned on the point of view, sometimes we tap the other one in and have them come in and make a run at it, right? There are lots of different personalities and lots of different communication styles and the way in which you say things is often more important than what you're actually saying in a lot of cases in order to get over this hump. So enlist other people that can be supporters of the point of view and maybe express it in a better way that communicates to that audience. Yeah, I really like that last point a ton because it gets to another key point of how you create those 
brand love vehicles that we talk about from a branding context, which is to have an authentic storyteller. Mm -hmm. And to realize sometimes that storyteller is not you. Mm -hmm. Because if you have or you're perceived to have a huge vested interest or you're running a big agenda or maybe you're not as popular with your audience, sometimes you can get in the way and you can be the barrier to getting your POV through. And sometimes it's better to, like you said, enlist or tap somebody else in that can convey that point of view in a way that is highly compelling to the audience and in a way that they're going to hear it and they're going to want to engage in it. I mean, that's why we have influencers and branding. That's why we have uh, ambassadors and and sponsors in in all of a lot of branding and businesses, because it helps to convey the message in a different way so that people can hear it a little bit differently. Yeah, exactly. All right. So just to recap, how to gain traction for your POV. Use simple and consistent language. Make it easy for your audience to follow so it doesn't become one more barrier to gaining traction for your POVs. Second, repetition is key. Develop a message track and use it everywhere. Third, don't try to sell the barn with the chickens. In other words, avoid packing too much in each messaging exchange in an effort to get it all out there or sell it all at once. And finally, prioritize the why and the impact. These are key to building those emotional connections that will compel agreement. Marketing Smarts is sponsored by scottmaltz.com, S-C-O-T-T-M-A-U-T-Z.com. Scott Maltz is a popular keynote speaker and number one best-selling author whose latest book and talk, Leading from the Middle, helps middle managers dramatically increase their influence up, down, and across their organization. Want your company's middle managers and leaders equipped to foster a high-performing organization? Want them inspired to drive the change and transformation that's a challenging necessity moving forward? Then go to scottmaltz.com to check out Leading from the Middle and all of Scott's keynotes, trainings, courses, and books. On a personal note, Marketing Smarts has worked with Scott as our business coach and found our own successful results, so we highly endorse him. All right, our next segment is In the Trenches. This is where we give real-world examples specific to industries and situations, but with broad application so all of you guys can digest and put it into action. All right, so the first In the Trenches question. Sometimes I get stuck in these types of conversations because they get off track or I feel like I'm just responding without actually getting to what I want to say. What can I do? All right, so this is where a couple of of techniques that we've used and come from my history of PR, I think, have worked really, really well. So first is called bridging. I alluded to this before. So this is when you use something the audience has said to springboard to a topic you actually want to talk about. And this only works if you actually answered them first. All right, so so we're going to demonstrate this. All right, so April, ask me what I think about OBJ joining the Cowboys. And of course, you bring up a sports line. I'm not expecting you to, to actually know what I'm even talking about, but. Okay, well, that's not very nice. All right. So, Anne, <laughs> what do you think about OBJ joining the Cowboys? Well, April, I mean, if he can actually play, then I think it has some potential. But what I'm more concerned about is the impact he's going to have on the culture because he has that kind of personality, has that a bit of abrasive personality, and the Cowboys are playing really well. And we know how important culture is to actually creating teams. And chemistry so, on teams. Yep. And so even like if you're thinking about your business, right, and you're thinking about that team that you're trying to pull together, there's always that one outlier, right, that you bring in because they can be high performing, but in a lot of cases, they can also cause a lot of angst for the team. And what that generally happens is the team ends up breaking down. Yep. All right. So. I just bridged twice, right? And within that. So I answered April's question yes. directly. But then what did I 
April, you, you can decipher. What did you think I really wanted to talk about? All right. So the analogy was good in this instance because it brought up the actual topic here, which is Anne being able to give her point of view about what actually happens in the team environment when you bring someone on that is a little bit more of a quote unquote cowboy or has a strong personality and therefore what that's going to do to the overall team. So less about the answer to the individual that was being brought on and more about what the result will be. Exactly. Yes. So you can imagine how that would have been central to my message. I didn't know I was going to be put in the hot seat. Jesus. All right. Sometimes it's fun for me to do that. <laughs> you did really well. So either I'm a really good bridger or you're a really good assessor. Oh, so I don't know. Maybe okay. a little bit of both. Both. Okay. Another technique is to ask a question based on a previous statement. Questions are always really good to solicit engagement. So, for example, you mentioned before that you really hate changing scope. Why is that? And a follow-up to that would be, well, what would make you think differently about that, right? So have them articulate what their feelings, their angst, their tensions, their mission and vision is. What are they trying to get out of it? This is how you really identify their currency. And if you want more about how to actually use these techniques, get Adam Grant's new book, Think Again, and pay special attention to the debate piece. Because ironically, these are very key points of how do you debate. And the two really big nuances here that I want you guys to take out of it is finding common ground is a really fantastic way for actually then bridging to that level of agreement that gets people to track with your POV. The other one, which is a little bit of an aside here, but I think also very important is don't litter your whole conversation with a gazillion themes, messages, or points to try to reinforce why somebody should agree with you. Because what happens in that is People see it as an opportunity to pick and choose what they're not going to agree with. So you want to stick with a few key points. And again, when we said repetition is key, you want to keep on reemphasizing those points, maybe different ways in about how to think about those points. But the points are the same because when you start introducing a bunch of other different points, people are like, well, that little like point over here, I'm not really in agreement with. And that might have been like very small, insignificant part of the overall discussion that you wanted to have. Yeah, 100%. And first, I will say I just also finished Adam Grant's Think Again as well. And I love this point about debate. I was kind of in the middle of the book when I started going through this episode. And one of the things that struck me is the quicker you can get to taking the emotion out of the situation and focusing on the challenge that's actually at hand, the better off you will be in order to stay on track. And one of the things that I feel like I often say when I feel like we're veering off or we're, you know, I'm getting off track, they're getting off track is to say, look, this is not personal. It's about the work. And so if we can remember that and go back to that place, then that kind of reorients and brings us back to what we're trying to achieve and just regrounds the conversation. And recently, actually, Ann and I had a conversation well, because someone gave us feedback about how directly we communicate with each other about our point of views, which is a little bit of an aside. <laughs> but he was basically a viewer. We were putting together a presentation and we were commenting back and forth to each other. And he was like, I can't believe that's how you talk to each other. And I was like, what do you mean? And I went back and read and I was like, oh, it is super, super direct. But because we've had the conversation so many times about this where we're like, it's about the work. It's not about you or me. It's about making yeah. it better. We don't even say that anymore. We just go in and we start hammering, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's it's never an aggressive thing, although I can totally see how he was like, you wrote those and man, she just ripped into the one. I'm like, but she was, was she wrong or was she right? 
Like she was right. Well, yeah, it's about the work. So I don't have any emotion associated to that. We're just getting to the best work. So that's one thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the other thing I want to say is this is where the discipline comes in because I think being really focused on what you want people to hear and the couple of points you're going to make always takes me back to the tell people what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then remind them what you told them. And I think that that structure holds up really, really well here because it reminds you to stay on track and kind of that – if they only hear one thing from me today, what do I want it to be? And then you yes. can continue to reinforce that so that then you're going to be throwing curveballs. You can't intuit what other people are going to say or how they're going to react. Even if you're the most empathetic person in the world, you can't predict that. So this keeps you grounded in your space and in making the actual arguments where you need to, debating where you need to, conceding when you need to, if you have that very firm within your head. I think that's all really, really good points. All right. The second in the trenches question. What are the biggest mistakes you see people make in trying to gain traction for their POV? All right. So we mentioned a few of these up front of the oh, episode. Yeah. So yep. we'll just, we'll, we'll get into these in a little bit more detail. So here's where people tend to make fatal flaws. So first, they go to people's bosses to get them on board and try to get him or her, the boss in this case, to get their people on board. Bad, bad behavior. It never works, guys. You can't circumvent getting people aligned by forcing them in to the POV through the back door. You may get temporary consent, but you're going to get it begrudgingly Mm -hmm. and you're not going to get the most amount of effort out of it that you want from these people who are you're going to need them as your allies in order to forward your POV because as we've talked about a lot we're all humans we need other humans to achieve our goals and dreams in this case our POVs so you can't count out the other humans right another is making threats and this is basically if we don't do it my way I'm taking my ball and going home (laughs) and everybody has some level of interpretation of what this means and you guys all know what I'm talking about Fear-mongering or generally overinflating the downside when not true. It's called sandbagging and yeah. sandbagging in a big way. Basically, if we don't do this, it could be catastrophic, right? You know, so you really emphasize the downside in order to get people to do it just out of fear. So usually people can sniff this out. <laughs> and, it, and usually then it doesn't give you a lot of great credibility as you're trying to forward your POV again and again. So it, it, it tends to get people very skeptical very, very quickly. And it causes a lot of noise in the system about your integrity. So don't do that. Uh, another one is undermining other people's expertise or qualifications. I've been doing this longer than anyone. Oh, I've been here are... for 30 years. Ooh. I've been in this role for, you know, Five years. I've risen up through the ranks faster than anybody. Like whatever you want to qualify it as. Whenever you start playing that game with somebody and you're trying to undermine them and put it underneath your thumb in order to get them to get to your point of view quicker, that's just never going to work because it then calls into question the other person's intelligence, yes, and experience, and makes them feel small. So don't do that. What's your bills on this one, April? Yeah, so I have a few in addition to the ones I mentioned at the beginning. The first one I'll bring forward is bulldozing and not bringing other people along. Oh, yeah, I've never done that. But just, okay. (laughs) Yeah, me neither. 
this is the hole you just <laughs> charge my, ahead. And my, my, my first 10 years of my career at PhD yeah, when I was yeah. called Little Mussolini. <laughs> I mean, so this one is, you know, you just plow ahead and you turn around and no one's behind you anymore. That's yep. what we mean by yes. this. If you're not doing yourself any favors, this is undermining in another way. Talking and talking and talking until people are just too tired and so they give in. Mm-hmm. That one, yeah, I have no patience for. I did not ever do that one. I just have, I, it just drove me crazy. And the final one that I have is grandstanding, which is focusing more on being on stage and then losing the point of why we're here. So it becomes more of a performance instead of an actual point of view directed at some kind of solution that you want to get to. It's your time in the sun or time in the limelight or whatever. And so the focus is completely lost. And it just comes off as being very inauthentic. All of this is tone deaf and it undermines everyone that you're directing your message to because you're disrespecting their time and their intelligence and their ability with these behaviors. Yep, agreed. All right, our third in the trenches question is taking so long to get people on board. Aren't there other ways of fast tracking? So I we would say you need to set reasonable expectations for how long it will take and how much effort it's going to take to move people. People yep. tend to way underestimate the time it's going to take and they get very frustrated very quickly and they tend then to fall into one of those behaviors we just mentioned. But it should come as no surprise that the more change or the more you're trying to move against the status quo, it's going to take longer, especially if your position tends to be a little bit unpopular or it's a little bit more obscure. It's not the most common opinion. You have to take that into consideration. You have to decide if it's worth it or not. Like you don't need to be a crusader on a certain POV if it's not going to benefit you or you don't feel like there's enough there to benefit you if you were to deliver it. Sometimes, again, it's the dog with the bone thing. We get stuck in these POVs and we just want to win, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes we forget about the cost. It's it's having to us. It's having to our families. It's having to our colleagues. It's having to our reputation. So take a pause and, and check in on a regular basis to see if it continues to be worth the effort, right? And one other one I'll throw in before we move forward is take into account the culture of the organization. Yes. This is where I've gotten myself in trouble too. Yep, if it's yep, just yep. a slow-moving culture, you got to figure out how to work within that. You can't just push forward. Right, right. I think that's a really, really good point. Now, you can nudge people along, yes. right? So we'll give you some tips here on how to nudge people along. So first is have regular follow-ups to hold them accountable. So as we said, you know, not selling the barn with the chickens, you want to solicit engagement. So you get to a point where you can close. And, you know, we ABC always be closing, right? So you get to a point where you can close on a certain aspect of that discussion and you come back for more. Once you have done your homework on satisfying whatever the challenges were to get to the next stage, which again requires you to listen to what those challenges might be. So that usually involves you doing work. If you're not going to do any work on your part and you're going to keep going back and asking them to reconsider when you have not listened to what their concerns are and try to address them, you are not going to get anywhere. You can also do your part to forward the work that elicits new engagement, right? So this goes to the point that I was just saying is once they've said, okay, I want this, then go do that. And then come back. Don't just sit there and get that engagement and then go back to them without having something to show for the agreement that you guys have made. Mm -hmm. 
then educate at a grander scale, make it a higher profile conversation or make your POV popular. Yep. If you're more of an entrepreneur, this might be doing more PR elements of the communications plan where you're seeding your POV, you're putting your, your thought leadership out there and you're establishing more traction on a global scale for your POV that helps you to drive more groundswell at the lower levels. And then, as April said, get other credible supporters and have them be your ambassadors. Word of mouth is a really great way in order to try to move people and get them more in line with your POV. Yeah, and all of these, I mean, I think speak to accountability on both sides, right, mm-hmm. or enticement. So I'm a big fan of really specific tools that help to get to that. So a brief that outlines why you're all here. We have an episode on this one, too. Yep, if yep. you need it, please go seek it out. And then always bringing it into the room and referring back to it. You're telling people what you're going to tell them. You tell them. You tell them what you told them, right? Every single meeting, the brief needs to be there. And then the timeline or the gates to decide and move things forward with an end goal that then does not move. And this can be really, really hard. So decide what the end goal is and then back up from there and then don't let it slip, which is a huge challenge in and of itself. But it's about making people accountable, including yourself and holding people's feet to the fire to move things forward. And then this is a little bit like Anne's one, and I've mentioned this before, about getting credible supporters and having them be your ambassadors, but bringing on other point of views outside of your own to educate the group. And this could be people, but this could also be case studies in the industry of where this has worked or other industries where it has worked or thought leaders that have spoken on this topic before. It doesn't always have to be you, like Anne said, that is putting forth the point of view. And it's really good if you can leverage expertise outside of your company or the people in the room or whatever to show that this point of view has legs beyond just this organization. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I love the one you said about timeliness because that is crucial to gaining traction is that if there's too much time in between engagements or points or milestones or whatever you're setting up as your process – then you tend to lose traction. Like it definitely tends to to stall traction. So it's up to you to define what that time point needs to be that you continue to engage so that you can keep top of mind so so people know that this is still important to you so that they know that you're working against it. And again, it, it may be milestones within the milestone yep. of like, okay, well, we haven't gotten to the total point where you're at, but we're gone to this point. Are we on this right track? Is this feeling more along the lines of what you were talking about? Does this address your concern? We're still working towards what you said, but does this help to get us there? You know, So do those check-ins, do those checkpoints and keep a regular pace of that and don't slide without having a rational reason why in communicating that because if they don't think it's important to you to keep it on track, then they're definitely not going to think it's important enough for them to keep it on track. Not to mention all of the rework that happens if you are able to get something back on track after it has fallen off. It just becomes so inefficient and like you said, not a focus then. Right. You kind of almost go to the bottom again. Yes, exactly. All right, and our third and final segment is where we highlight companies or brands that may or may not be using their marketing smarts and may or may not have anything to do with today's episode. Hmm, does this one have... Well, you always like to make the tie, so I feel like you say no and then you make it. Well, that's what I'm saying. I wasn't trying not to bait and switch or try not to sandbag (laughs) in this case, but I I guess this this is my POV, so we'll see how compelling I am in getting traction for it. Okay. But unfortunately, it's more of a negative one, so we'll see. 
I saw what it was and I was like, I can't imagine. Anyway, okay. Yeah, sometimes I don't put it in there because <laughs> I just want to like tease it up. So in the light of everything that just happened with Taylor Swift and the Ticketmaster fiasco, I have been thinking a lot about monopolies in business. And the one that um, I feel is actually very pressing to me in my world in Cincinnati is Soccer Village. Okay. Okay. So Soccer Village, for all of you guys don't know, is probably one of the only places that is completely dedicated to selling soccer gear. It's what all the club teams go through in order to order all their kits. It has the best selection of cleats. I mean, it's just, I mean, there's a couple within Cincinnati. So that's where we go to buy Crit and my daughter's cleats because Dix doesn't have the selection because they have to look good and they have to be functional, right? So it's not just <laughs> she enough wears to them an functional. awful lot. She so does wear I, them off I, a lot. I, I hear the girl. Yeah. So we went to, to Sucker Village in order to get her new cleats. And we went through the selection, and she's like, oh, I might want to try these. And I was like, all right, well, try them. They're different than what you have, but, you know, let's try them. She'd only worn them four times, and the seal against the toe started to separate. And she was getting shin splits, and her feet were going numb. Uh. So I was like, well, you can't wear these. I'm like, this is not going to work. So I took them back to Soccer Village, thinking it was like, any running shoe store in Cincinnati, like Fleet Fee, which I yeah. love, where, you know, you get to take them home, you get to try them, and if you don't like them, you can bring them back within 30 huh? days. Or I, it might be 30 days, it might be less than that. Please don't quote me on that. Right? And so they want you to go out and try them. Yeah. That's the only way you know. That's the only way you really know, Especially right? Especially if you're switching brands or even styles within brands. I exactly. Mean, or they. Big- or even the brands change from yeah. sometimes one the way generation they're put- to the next, yep. right? Yeah. I mean, I bought the exact same shoe before, and it fit different. Like, it fits the different. exact same shoe. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I brought them back thinking, oh, maybe they're going to, you know, let me exchange them, return them. It's only been like a week. And they're like, no, we can't. We can't take these back. I'm like, what do you mean you can't take these back? And they're like, well, we don't, you know, there's, they've been worn. And I'm like, well, of course they've been worn. But she's only worn them like four times. They still look pretty new. Mm-hmm. I'm like, plus they're coming apart here. She's having shins. So I went through the spiel with the guy and he goes, well, how do you know the shit splints and the numb feet are due to the shoes? Oh, the come pleats. on. And I'm like. Because she didn't have them before. He goes, well, it's getting colder out and, you know, the turfs are getting harder. I'm like, she plays soccer all year round and has never had this problem until she put on these cleats a week ago. Yeah. Right? So I'm like, no. And plus they're coming apart. Well, they're not coming apart so much that it's going to impact her and how she's playing. They're shoes. I was like, wait a second. I'm like, so your shoes are supposed to start coming apart in four days? I said, listen, I said... This is just starting. I mean, this could be like disastrous in the next couple of weeks, like where it's like totally separate. He goes, well, or it may not at all. Oh. And I was like, so you're not going to take these back? He's like, no. But of course, the only place to go buy cleats is Soccer Soccer Village. Village. So I had to spend more money on the cleats and buy her another pair, which, by the way, was a pair that she's had before. It's just a newer model. Had no problems since, right? And so... When I asked him too, then I said, well, do you have a donation like policy then like where you like take these and, you know, give them to kids or whatever they need? And he goes, no. I'm like, so you don't even have a donation thing? (laughs) Because, well, sometimes people come in and they take them for kids in like, you know, third world countries or whatever. I'm like. I want to be, make sure I, it's getting to somebody like that I yeah, can know is going to benefit from it. not getting a it. refund or any sort of credit or anything. Yes. And so I was like, there is another example of a monopoly, <laughs> a business who has no competition. So therefore, 
their customer service is like not there because like I said, any other running shoe business in Cincinnati will take those shoes back. I don't know what they do with them, but they take them back. And it's literally no questions asked. No questions asked. Other than I want to help you find the the ones that were. Yeah, tell me what went wrong. Like it's an altruistic thing. It's not like trying to catch you. Well, even when my ons basically fell apart. All right. So they they put me in the wrong ones Uh for what I was going to use them for. And they basically like all wore out really quickly. Like like before they just took them back and they gave me a credit towards a new pair. Right. And so this is what I'm saying is that competition is good. Yes. Right. And you can extrapolate that to whatever you want to do. And so I would say you need to respect consumers. You need to respect your customers. It may that competition may not be in your face right now, but there is just too much of a world out there where people can figure out other ways of getting things done. Yep. And they would never would have thought in a million years I would be blasting them on a podcast that lots of people are listening to. So lesson to them. Yep. No, I mean, I think it's it's all true. I mean, you know, we have another episode upcoming here shortly about how to reach the consumer because the world is always changing from that standpoint and what you can track and what you can't track and all of that. But I don't think it's ever going to change that consumer's king. I totally agree with you. I'm like, if it's not today and they can live in this monopoly space right now, that's fine. But I just really do believe that everybody gets their come up in someday. And what I see happens is when these monopolies exist, the companies get lazy, which is the example you just gave. And all it takes is somebody else to come up with a better, more innovative way to get those shoes in the hands of the consumer or whatever else they sell. And then they're dead in the water because they haven't done anything to build loyalty or have consumers have any sort of connection to their brand. They're just selling the commodity because they are the only ones that can sell that particular product right now. I agree. And so if anybody needs a size eight and a half pair of Nike cleats, they're nice cleats. Just DM me because they only want to give me like 20 bucks at Played Against Sports for cleats that I spent $85 on like four days ago. All right. Enough of that. So just to recap, how to gain traction for your POV. First, use simple and consistent language. Make it easy for your audience to follow so it doesn't become one more barrier to getting traction for your POVs. Second, repetition is key. Develop a message track and use it everywhere. Third, don't try to sell the barn with the chickens. In other words, avoid packing too much in each messaging exchange in an effort to get it all out there or sell it all at once. And finally, prioritize the why and the impact. These are key to building those emotional connections that will compel agreement. And with that, we'll say go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.